In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Wow, I stumbled doing the Trinitarian blessing as I did that. You, you'd think on today of all days, I'd really be able to stick the landing on that. Well, the funny thing is that that's how we end all of our services. It, it is, it's actually not required to conclude a service of Eucharist with a Trinitarian blessing. It, it is, we are supposed to have a blessing, uh, and it's quite customary in the Episcopal Church and many others for that, for that blessing to be Trinitarian. So we will conclude the service by blessing in the, in the, name, of, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, or perhaps something different, like in the name of in the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, the Sustainer. Um, Adrian isn't here, so so I can say nice things about her. Um, she's a really good writer, and and will often create blessings that uh, sometimes are Trinitarian, sometimes aren't. That are right there in in the theme of what the readings are are for that day or the sermon. She has a real great gift for that. And, and some clergy, as you know actually have something something of a of a signature blessing right something that they say and it's familiar and it's wonderful I, my favorite one is, and the best one of all time is is michael curry's right can anybody kind of recall what bishop curry how he hands every service love god love your neighbor love yourself love god love your neighbor love yourself now with him in North Carolina, we heard this blessing a lot. And, and now it doesn't get old, but you start noticing it over and over again. And, and if you get playful, you can almost, you know, you shouldn't do this, but start thinking of it as a, as a sign-off to the end of the service, sort of like you can't go, don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Uh, or don't forget to spay and neuter your pets. Uh, love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. Now go on, y'all, right? But it really isn't that at all. In fact, if we, if we pay attention to it, there, there is a richness to it. There is a really wonderful depth to that, to that phrase. It's not specifically the Holy Trinity, but it is Trinitarian. It's a simple bidding statement that, that boils down everything we are down to one simple but not so simple profound statement. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. It's not specifically the Holy Trinity, but it is still the life of faith described as a constellation of relationships. What it means is that there is no relationship that is not deeply informed by the Trinitarian love that defines divinity. It means that there is no angle of approach between us and any other human being that is not deeply formed by the presence of God. And we know that that is at the very heart of what it means to be, to say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, to stand in the midst of Trinity Cathedral. It means that there's an incredible mystery and layering to every relationship in our lives. And I, I want to suggest to you that far from being, and take any Trinitarian blessing, far from being a succinct statement of what we believe, this threefold blessing of our Trinitarian faith is the very bridge 
between the sufferings of this world and the hope that God will create something new out of so much brokenness. That's actually what it means to have a Trinitarian faith. We start, if we go from what Paul said in Romans, we can start today with suffering. There is so much suffering in the world right now. Whether, whether in our personal lives, whether, whether what we see locally, whether what we, we see happening around the world, it's devastating and heartbreaking just to turn on the radio in the car right now. Whether we're talking about gun violence, our failure to do anything about that, whether we're talking about the sickness of racism, whether we're talking about devastating alienation, whether we're talking about a war in Europe that is now threatening a global food crisis, it can feel pretty helpless, right? It feels really helpless sometimes. It feels hopeless. So how can we read Paul's um, little primer here this morning in the book of Romans to help us find a little bit of what we can do with suffering? Because what Paul says, he says, far from running from suffering, which I know we all want to do, he says we actually should endure it. No, he says, excuse me, he says we should boast in it. That's even crazier. We should boast in suffering. That's, that's just weird, right? Why in the world would we do that? Well, he says, because suffering leads to endurance. Endurance leads to character. Character leads to hope. And hope is what we need. And hope, he says, does not disappoint so if Paul is on to something here and he's talking about suffering, that means that suffering, which, which is a part of life, right? We do not have to create it. We do not have to manufacture it. But we sure do try, don't we? Since suffering is actually, if that's what leads to all these things and then leads to hope, then suffering is actually the very raw material of hope. Suffering is actually the very raw material of hope. But here's the problem. The problem is that suffering, more often than not, is also the raw material of more suffering. Because think about what we do when faced with pain, when faced with this kind of thing, when faced with hardship in life. What, what do we do? What do we want to do? We want to run from it. We want to hide from it. We want to numb it. We want to buffer ourselves from it. Or worse yet, and this is, this is the root of all violence, we want to pass it along so that somebody else can carry that burden and so that we don't have to. Right? Whether you're taking up arms, whether you're, you're picking a fight, whether you're just being a passive-aggressive person, that's taking suffering that you don't want to carry on your shoulders and passing that along and let somebody else handle that. That is not enduring suffering, is it? And that is not taking something that could be the raw material of hope and turning it into something grace-filled. Rather, it's turning it into more suffering. And how much of our world's brokenness can find that at its root? When we suffer, we can numb it, we can pass it along, we can hide from it, or we can take a different path. 
We can endure it so that it might become transfigured. Because when we endure, we expand our capacity to sit with pain. And then we build character. And when we do that, we gain an authentic strength that cannot be shaken by the storms of this world. Sure, rattled a little bit. But still, it's not going to wreck you. It's not going to destroy you. And that leads to something called hope. That's where this ends. This to me says something rich and authentic about hope. About authentic hope that I think I'd never heard or thought of before. That hope is the pearl of great price. Hope is the pearl formed by great pressure over time. It's a real, tangible force for goodness that has been through the the, um, the that has been through the gauntlet. And imagine this: hope is actually little more than suffering and pain that has been transfigured through endurance and faith and love. And that means something for who we are. Because that means that we, ourselves, our souls, and our bodies, we are not just passive recipients of bad things that happen in this world. Even when it's hard to find our power, it's hard to find what the next step is. Rather, we, our souls and our bodies, are greenhouses for hope. We are greenhouses for hope. The very spaces in which the sufferings of this world, through the mercy and grace of God, become transfigured into something that can change the world. So how does that happen? Right? What's, what's the difference between suffering that leads to more suffering and suffering that leads to hope? Right? What's, is there a special sauce? Is there a special kind of thing we need to know? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> this being Trinity Sunday, let's, let's do this. Let's take a look to Bishop Curry's Trinitarian Blessing. All right, what is it? Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. All right, good. But first, I'm going to get myself into a little bit of trouble. Sam, would you turn off the cameras for a minute? Don't really. Bishop Curry didn't actually invent it. I don't, mean, I don't tell him I said that, and I, I can't prove that, but I, was coming, I, I came across a meditation by Howard Thurman from the 1950s called Thou Shalt Love. So we're talking about commandment language here. Thou shalt. And in that essay, that meditation, he said, love thy God, love thy neighbor, and love thyself. Sounds a little familiar, right? Pretty good. It's a good thing we are not governed by copyright laws, although we do get in trouble when we steal sermons. As far as we, well, we should. Howard Thurman said, Thou shalt love thy God. He said, We must not lose our sense of relatedness to God. Even when we suffer, 
because he says it's that relatedness which enables us to thread life's mysteries with life's clues. So think about that. We, we all know what it's like to be in the, that place of suffering. I'm not, I'm not glamorizing that, by the way. I'm not, I'm not glorifying that. I'm just talking about reality that we all know. But when we sit with it faithfully, we begin to discern things. And that's why I love his language. We begin to thread life's mysteries with life's clues. So there are, there are little glimpses and graces along the way, even in those hardest times, sometimes especially in those hardest times, that help us to begin to, to understand what, what it means to be human, to understand what it, what it means to live and walk this life of faith. And, and Howard Thurman says, and, and this is another Trinity Sunday sermon altogether, so mark your calendars, I'll see you next year. He said, I shall not waste any effort trying to reduce God to my particular logic. Right? All, all the great, this is not just Christianity, all the great religious wisdom traditions are about this, right? Taking the logic you think you know and, and not, letting, not reducing the great majesty of God to that. And, and it's easy, of course, to talk about other people's logic. The problem is our particular logic is correct. So that's part of the discipline, right? That's part of the humility of realizing where for all of the best of our intentions, we often get ourselves in the way of all this. Loving God means seeing suffering, not through the lenses of our own manufacture, but rather through the mysteries of God's healing grace. And to stress the word mystery. The Trinity is a mystery. Faith is a mystery. And not, not that God is unknowable, but God is infinitely knowable in the midst of that mystery. If we can get ourselves out of the way of it a little bit. And finally, thou shalt love thy neighbor. With kindness, compassion, non-judgment, and a steadfast refusal to pass our suffering on to others. That is hard work. We are, we are hardwired to do that sometimes, and that also is why, why we come together day in and day out, week in and week out to, to practice this. It takes work, it takes courage, it takes sacrifice, it takes spiritual maturity, but you know what? All that worth, I, work, I promise you, it's worth it. Because remember what we're doing here, we're on the journey together from suffering to hope. We're on the journey from suffering to hope. And therefore, thou shalt love thy neighbor. And finally, thou shalt love thyself. Thou shalt love thyself. Suffering wants to teach us not to love ourselves. Don't believe it. You see, if we love ourselves... We love God because God created us in their image. And simply put, God loves us because we were created to be good. And God loves us even through the hardest of times. I think especially in the hardest of times. So rather than letting suffering transform us into something that is less human and less holy, our work is to transfigure that suffering into something that emerges as something from, emerges from all of this 
as hope. Real hope. Not just slogans, but something grace-filled and powerful. Something that changes us. Something that changes the world. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Not just because that's good Trinitarian practice, but because this is the kind of love that turns the raw material and sadly the plentiful material of suffering into the life-changing gift of hope. There's a lot of suffering in this life. But I think we have an idea of what to do with that. We are greenhouses of hope. Because we spend our lives loving God, we spend our lives loving our neighbor, and we spend our lives loving ourselves as the imprint of God's love. That's the love that gets us from suffering to endurance, to character, to hope. And that's the love that will bind up a world that seems to be beyond repair. But we know that it is not beyond repair. And we know that nothing is beyond God's grace. Because we know what it means to live and to love as an outpouring of the Creator, the Christ, and the Spirit of God. Thou shalt love. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Amen.